Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, docs, welcome to another episode of Modern Chiropractic Mastery. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, and today I'm excited to bring you Joey Coleman back to our podcast. If you remember, we had Joey on about never losing a customer again, which was his first book, and we really tied it into uh, chiropractic. And that was episode 235, and that was back October 7th of 2021. If you want to listen to that one, I highly recommend that that episode. Uh, but today we're actually going to talk about how to never lose an employee again, and it's such a important topic. I mean, things are just so different now, and a lot of chiropractors are. Uh, complaining about it, but it doesn't have to be that way. I, I assure you it doesn't. We just have to somehow understand what's going on. We need to meet in the middle and ultimately design an experience for our, our team members that really wants them to keep on coming back and be uh, really uh, batteries included, uh, as they would say, and, and, and have a ownership mentality, right? And so Joey, uh, I've also got a very fortunate opportunity to speak with him in Washington, D.C. at Jay Greenstein's event, and that was enjoyable and got a ton out of that. And as you may know, um, you know, he, he speaks a lot. Uh, Joey helps companies keep their customers and their employees. As an award-winning speaker, he shares his first 100 days methodology for improving customer and employee retention with organizations around the world. Uh, Whirlpool, Volkswagen, Australia, Zappos, you know, his Wall Street Journal number two best-selling book, Never Lose a Customer Again, shows how to turn any sale into a lifelong customer. And his upcoming book, Never Lose an Employee Again, details a framework companies around the world can use to reduce turnover and increase employee engagement. And you don't have to be a big company to benefit from this information. I got a ton out of it. I finally, honestly, have realized after uh, this conversation, after some conversations within our mastermind, um, com conversations with other folks, is that uh, it's just not going to go back to what it was. And, you know, I had mentioned in that first episode uh, with Joey about a little bit about the employee thing, and, and, and I'm fortunate enough to have him on here again because it was very important for me to hear it, uh, and I think it's going to be important for you to hear it because we're, it's just different now, but it doesn't mean it has to be a, a problem. And I think that's the take home from this episode today. And then obviously he gives plenty of strategies in the episode and then his book will lay out a ton of information as well. So I'm excited to uh, honestly get this interview to you because it's needed for all of us right now. And we just have to be honest with the situation and how we can uh, meet our team in the middle and provide a great opportunity for everybody involved. Here's my interview with Joey Coleman. Okay, before we get to today's episode, I want to share a little opportunity from my good friend, Ben Fergus. Many chiropractic offices like ours have had to restructure the past few years with high employee turnover during the Great Resignation leading to a constant cycle of onboarding and training new staff. Others purposely have stayed small, limiting their growth over the stressors of finding and onboarding good associates and staff. 
is this you? How would things change if you had a potential hire who was ready to go, already trained and primed to assist you in providing exceptional rehab or soft tissue therapies? What if your potential associate hire was already trained in leading a team of assistants? Grip Approach is offering a completely new Grip Teams course, allowing you and your team to onboard together over a single weekend course and backing it up with a virtual platform for your clinic. Your team members can choose from three tracks, diagnosis, rehab, or structure, which are simultaneously presented, followed by implementation as a team with live cases. Stop limiting your growth and take the stress out of training your team by joining a GRIP Teams course this summer in Baltimore and this winter in Chicago. Use the code MCM for a 15% discount at gripapproach.com. That is G-R-I-P approach.com. All right. I'm excited to have Joey Coleman on the show again today. This is number two. We're going to go around, have a really good time. You've already heard his introduction. So we're going to really dive into a lot of good stuff. Uh, Welcome to the show, Joey. Hey, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me back. And thanks to everybody else who's listening in. Such a delight to get to spend some time with all of you today. And hopefully address what I I think is a pretty big problem for a lot of folks, which is how do we find and recruit and onboard and retain awesome people into our practice so we can continue to help our patients and serve our communities in the way I know so many of you are committed to doing. Yeah, definitely. And you know, it was a pleasure to be able to co-present with you a few weeks back at Jay Greenstein's event. That was exciting and already taking some some stuff back to implement into my practice. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's always fun to share the stage with you, Kevin. And it was great to get a chance to connect in real life as opposed to only over Zoom or the audio wave. So appreciated that chance as well. It is always funny to meet the person after you've met a couple of times through Zoom and online and interviews and stuff like that. So uh, it was quite a pleasure. Um, I want to set some context here for our audience. Uh, About a year and a half ago, I think it was like the summer of of 2022 or so, uh, we, we had you on. And uh, we talked about the, the never lose a customer again. Really, we kind of geared it towards the chiropractic profession because obviously that's our audience. And I really recommend our audience go back and listen to that, even if it's the second time you're hearing it, but go back and listen to that because there's such a tie-in between a great customer experience and then what we're going to talk about today with employees. You can't have the great customer experience without the great employee experience. So true. Yeah, so it's a huge tie-in. And during that episode, I kind of made mention of the issues we were all facing with employees and the struggle. And you were like really excited to hop on that. And I assume you were in the throes of researching this concept and writing about it. Is that is that right? Oh, you are. Your your instinct is spot on, Kevin. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I started writing uh, the book that's coming out soon, uh, Never Lose an Employee Again. Before the pandemic, actually. And when the pandemic came along, I actually said to the publisher, stop the presses, no pun intended. Like we got, we got to hold up because what I felt, which I think all of us were feeling is that there was a sea change happening in the world of work and how we interact as employers with our employees, how our employees interact with each other. And I'm so glad we did because it allowed us to continue to dive into the research, to continue to explore new ideas, to continue to work with our consulting clients, to try things and experiment with things. So now the book that's coming out isn't, it's written with that context. It's written with an understanding that the marketplace 
for employees and employers has forever changed. And I know there's a lot of people listening that are like, oh, if we could just go back to the old days, wouldn't that be amazing? And I get it. And I empathize and I sympathize with that perspective and position. But the practical reality is if you're still running your practice in 2023 and beyond, the way you were running it in 2019, you're in for a sobering reality. And that reality is you're not going to be able to find people that will operate and behave and interact in the workplace the same way they did then. Now, now I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing and we can dive into that. But if you're operating from an old playbook, you're not going to be as successful as you could. Yeah. And that's something that I, I talk to a lot of chiropractors, a lot of practice owners and other small business owners. And it's like this tug of war of like, okay, do I try to find the very rare person is like 2019 and before? Or do I have to change some of my thought processes and have a little bit of a paradigm shift on that? Some may maybe meet in the middle at least. I don't know. You're gonna you're gonna help us out with that. I'm obviously a lot of things have changed. I'm sure there's some things that haven't changed. And right out of the gates, I think it's a a big question to to ask is, you know, like the cost of losing an employee has always been a problem, right? Can can you speak to like the the actual cost associated with losing an employee? Yeah, so let's take at the high level cost and we'll drop down level. The most recent research in 2021 in the United States, employee turnover cost employers in the US over $700 billion. That's with a B. That was more than double the rate in 2009. To bring it to the more practical level, when we lose an employee, when we lose a team member, not only does it impact you know, our productivity and our efficiency and our business operations, but it dramatically impacts team morale. Because what happens when an employee leaves? Well, two things. Number one, the other employees that are still there have to pick up the slack. They have to work extra shifts, do extra thing, and often without an increase in pay or title they've got to kind of fill in the gap for the work that was being done by the other employee. But more importantly, or at least more detrimentally, one might say, they begin to doubt their own standing in the organization. They often think, well, Trevor left. Uh, what does Trevor know that I don't know? What did he see that made him decide to leave that I should be paying attention to? So they become more skeptical of their own position. In fact, the most recent research shows that in the United States, 65% of current employees in 2023 are considering leaving their job this year. 65%. So I've been asked practice owners and chiropractors like, oh, great. So which 65% of your team could you operate without? And, you know, when they pick themselves up off the floor and that hopefully get readjusted after that, uh, they <laughs> find themselves saying like, oh my gosh, Joey, this is a big problem. But let's pile on a little bit further. The financial cost, because this isn't just the huggy feely like, oh, take good care of your employees. No, this has a practical impact on your bottom line. All the research globally shows that the cost of losing an employee is somewhere between 100 and 300% of their annual salary. So yeah. stop and think about the annual salary of even your lowest paid employee. Let's just take it times one and a half, just for giggles. Let's, let's shoot down the middle of those averages. That's how much money you're going to lose next time an employee says, I'd like to give my two weeks notice, or next time an employee just doesn't show up for work. 
This isn't just about the feelings and the emotions of the employer-employee uh, experience. This is about the bottom line in your practice operation. And I know a lot of chiropractors. I've been a patient of chiropractic care for decades. I'm a big fan of it. Most chiropractors I know can't afford regular six-figure hits on their business. It'll put them under. So I think this has a both a timely and an important relevance to the folks who are kind enough to be listening in right now. Yeah. And that's where I think the struggle's been amongst the people I talk about. And this is what I kind of was referencing on the first episode we had together was a lot of chiropractors are still nickel and diming on the on the hourly pay. And, and it's just like, I'll just say, uh, let's just take, put the doctors aside, the associate side, we'll just talk about, say, your support team. And if that person was $15 an hour in 2019, and they're really good, they're not $15 an hour anymore. And they're having a hard time wrapping their mind around that it might be 22 an hour. Obviously, it depends on where you're at. There's a lot of variants, but just for the sake of examples, it's gone up. And if you're still hanging out in that $15 an hour range, you're not getting the rock star, right? And, and you're probably getting more turnover, which is what you're saying, costing you more money. Is that what you're seeing out there? Kevin, 100%. And, and I'll take it even further. I think everybody listening has had the experience of going to the grocery store or the gas pump or anywhere else in your life and recognizing that you're paying more for the products and the services that you have today than you were in 2019. It's also probably the case that you are charging your patients more than you were charging in 2019. Then why aren't you paying your employees more? Let's stop and do the math on that. We see it happening in our personal lives, and then we're shocked that we can't get somebody at $15 an hour. The other thing that has happened that wasn't happening before COVID is it used to be that your employer most likely was within 30 miles of your home. You woke up in the morning, you drove to work, you worked for the day, you drove home. That's how the great majority of employees globally operated pre-COVID. With COVID, suddenly everybody got comfortable with remote work. Everybody got comfortable with doing Zoom calls. I'm not saying that, and we haven't figured out how to do remote adjustments with a haptic vest, so we're not there yet, right? I get it. However, the marketplace shifted their thought. So your $15 an hour CDA or receptionist or team member has a lot more job options available to them today at the $22, $24, or $25 range for companies and organizations that aren't based in your hometown. So that's who you're actually competing against. You're not competing against the other chiropractor or the other dentist or doctor or healthcare professional in your community. You're competing against anyone who sees your people as talent and qualified and able and is interested in giving them the opportunity to work remotely. And a lot of your employees are excited about that because not only does it give them more pay, but it gives them more autonomy, more freedom, more opportunity. So that's actually the shift that I would posit. And I, again, I say this from a place of empathy. It's not going to work for you to keep thinking $15 an hour 2019 works. You can think that that's fine, but I get to set a stopwatch on how much longer you're in practice because yeah, that's no, the situation. That's such a good point. I, you know, I didn't even think about that part of it. Is you're you're not competing against the other locals, retail or chiropractors. You're competing against 
you know, you could be in Florida, but you're competing against 49 other states uh, and, and probably other countries too at this point. So. One of my top, one of my clients works in residential real estate property management. So stop and think about like, if there has ever been a job where you got to be on site, it's residential real estate property management. Called me an hour ago and he's like, hey, Joey, I know that all of our properties are in Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas, but I'm moving to San Diego next week. I just wanted to let you know. If you don't think this applies to you, friends, I, I, you're just, you're not paying attention. This is happening. It, the, the, the horse is out of the barn, as we say in the country, right? Like you, there's no, we, we can talk all we want about who should have closed the barn door, but the practical reality is the horse is out of the barn and you get to decide, am I going to spend all my time chasing after it? That one that got away, or am I going to start to think more strategically about how I build my operation? I love it. I love it. All right, Docs, here is a new opportunity for you from Darcy Sullivan of Propel. She is our SEO specialist in helping out many chiropractors uh, with their search engine optimization and making sure Google is finding you and getting you new patients. It's amazing how many new patients chiropractors can get and are getting when they do uh, the SEO right and a few other things. And Darcy is offering a free SEO workshop just for chiropractors, and you can sign up for that at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Propel M-C-M. That is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, Propel M-C-M, Modern Chiropractic Marketing, right? And so check out that link. And we're going to have you go over five SEO secrets to owning the first page of Google uh, without buying ads. And Darcy's going to give that free workshop one hour to really help grow your practice and start churning new patients from the ever mighty Google, which is still king in the online marketing. So check that out at bit.ly slash propel MCM for the one hour free workshop. Um, I want to segue a little bit because that sets the context of the, the reality we're in now. And so now I want to work towards some ideas on, on solving it. Uh, one of the things that I just took so much from your first book and, and I was uh, privy to a good amount of your, of your current book and, and is the eight phases of whether it's the customer experience or now obviously the, the employee experience. And we have those eight phases. What, and a lot of our audience is actually very familiar with your, your first book, which is great, but what are some of the parallels between the eight phases of the customer experience and the eight phases of the employee experience? Well, I appreciate that, Kevin. And for those folks that are listening in that maybe didn't read my first book, Never Lose a Customer Again, which is all about, you know, the customer journey. When we started doing the research and looking at the employee journey, what we found is that humans are humans. Now, that probably shouldn't have been a surprise, but for some folks in the world of HR versus the world of patient care, the thought of a patient or a customer behaving the same way as an employee seems antithetical. It seems foreign. How is that possible? But humans are humans. And that journey emotionally, psychologically, physically, practically is actually very similar on the employee side as it is on the patient side. And so we looked and recognized there are eight key phases that every employee has the potential to go through. Now, whether they will or not, frankly, depends on you, the employer. What are you doing to meet them at the phase they're at and provide them with a kind of remarkable experience that propels them forward to the next phase? With your permission, Kevin, I'll give a quick overview of the eight phases, and then we can dive deep into each one. And before we get into it, let me tell you, folks, 
all the phases start with the letter A. That's not designed to confuse you, but rather to have you think about creating experiences that will allow your employees to give you straight A's on your report card. They'll be able to come back and say, you are doing an amazing job in each of these eight phases. So the first phase is the assess phase. This is when a prospective employee is trying to decide whether or not they want to come work for you. They're looking at your website. They're reading your job description. They're maybe checking out a careers page. They might be having interviews, applying for a process, going through some conversations, talking to other people that work in your practice. They're getting a feel for what would it be like if I became an employee. Then they move to phase two, the accept phase. And the accept phase has two component elements. Number one, you accept that this specific candidate is the one you want to make an offer to. So you make a formal offer and they accept your offer. So in the accept phase, what are we doing to kind of invite them in to our practice and our way of doing business? We then come to the third phase, the affirm phase. And I'd be willing to bet almost everybody listening, especially since you're medical professionals, has heard the phrase and is familiar with the scientific concept of buyer's remorse. When a buyer, a purchaser, a consumer begins to doubt the decision they just made due to dopamine releases in the brain and the reduction of that dopamine release, replacing those feelings of fear or those feelings of joy and euphoria and excitement with feelings of fear and doubt and uncertainty. Allow me to introduce you to a phrase that you may not have heard before today, which is new hire's remorse. It is scientifically proven that a new hire feels the same thing. They begin to doubt the decision they just made to accept your job offer. And you might've experienced this in your own life when you were looking for a job and you had applied to more than one place. And then one of them came with the offer, but you still hadn't heard back from the others. And you were faced with the conundrum. Do I accept this offer or do I try to drag it out and hold on and negotiate a little just so I can see if I get another one and potentially get them to bid against each themselves? Your employees, your prospective employees are exactly the same as you. They're doing that. So in the affirm phase, we've got to counter those feelings of fear, doubt, and uncertainty by reaffirming their choice to work with us. Then we come to the activate phase, okay? The first day on the job. Now, some of you are going, geez, Joey, we're four phases in and they're finally showing up for the first day of work. Exactly, friends. The activate phase is the only step in this entire process that is a only one day long. It's the first day on the job. And the question I always like to ask when we think about that first day is to refer back to the wonderful song by the country music legend, Bonnie Raitt. Have you given them something to talk about? When your new employee goes home at the end of the first day and they're greeted at the door by their loved ones, their family, their roommate, their friends, the first question they're going to be asked is, how was your first day on the job? How are your employees going to answer? You better have given them something positive to talk about, something they're excited about, where the likelihood of them coming back on day two is dramatically reduced. We then come to the next phase, the acclimate phase. Now, pro tip, friends, this phase can last anywhere from weeks to months. Yes, months. In the acclimate phase, the new employee is learning your way of doing business. They're learning the cadence of communication. They're learning who else on the team is involved in decision-making and conversations. They're working with patients. They're looking at product. They're trying to figure out how, you know, am I in a position where I'm supposed to upsell them on the ice pack and on the uh, essential oils, or is that kind of handled by someone else? Where are we at? They're trying to figure out what's going on. In that acclimate phase, we've got to hold their hand. Because even though you've done this for weeks, months, even years, a brand new employee has no idea what's going on. We got to take care of them. We then come to the accomplish phase. This is when the employee achieves the goal they originally had when they decided to come to work for you. And pro tip in this phase, friends, 
they're not trying to accomplish a paycheck every two weeks. Those are the anti-up chips to sit down at the table. So many practice owners and lead docs have this thought of, well, I'm paying them. That should be enough. Is that enough for you? Is it enough for you that you're earning a paycheck? Or do you want more? You want more connection. You want feelings of progress. You want to feel like you're part of bigger than some, something bigger than yourself. You want to feel like you're making an impact. That's what we need to be tracking for our employees and celebrating when they achieve it. We then come to phase seven, the adopt phase. This is when an employee becomes loyal to you and only you. They're not going anywhere else. They are committed. And finally, if and only if we've navigated them through all seven of those phases, do we come to the eight and final phase, the advocate phase where our employees become our raving fans, writing reviews on Glassdoor, singing our praises out in the marketplace. Whenever we're looking for a new employee, they're coming with four or five referrals of friends of theirs, great people they've worked with in the past, family members, loved ones that they know are going to be rock stars to contribute to your practice. Those are the eight phases. I got to imagine at this point, some of you listening in are saying, oh my gosh, Joey, we're not doing anything in some of those phases. That's okay, because neither are your competitors yet. This is the practical reality of the new world of employer-employee relationships. If you don't start to make appreciable change in each of these eight phases, enhancements in the experience, designed activities and interactions that are supposed to create remarkable experiences to keep your employees engaged and retained, again, we can set a stopwatch on how much longer you're going to be in practice. We've got to focus on these things. Oh, that's great. And it's just, it makes so much sense. And I always try to challenge, whether it's our listeners or our coaching clients, is we need to be remarkable, right? Like we, we can't just be the ho-hum chiropractor in our community anymore. It's just too hard. Insurance reimbursements, is te it's terrible. There is a lot of competition. Patients have a lot of options other than chiropractors to go see. And so we can't just be average. We have to be remarkable. And what you just laid out is, is remarkable in developing a culture in your practice. And then that's going to obviously carry into everything that you do. So thank you for sharing it. That was great. Um, I want to actually, one of the things I really enjoyed with reading uh, through the material uh, of your book was that uh, the, the Shackleton uh, question, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to phrase it a little bit for, it and I'm gonna let you uh, answer this, but uh, you know, just to give a little bit of uh, background with that to, to build his team embarking on the Antarctic voyage of the endurance Shackleton, he evaluated all his officers and seamen and scientists for, for their character before they even were credentialed to, to take this ship as, as you wrote in the book, I'm just kind of setting this up for the audience here, but he was looking for candidates that were, you know, had cheerfulness, sense of humor and other qualities he associated with optimism, a personal trait he deemed essential for men on a daring, dangerous mission. Obviously in this situation, it was, it was men at the time. Uh, but, he asked all of the candidates a curious and unexpected question that helped him determine that and if they could handle that conditions for, for 24 months. So what was that question? I'm, I'm intrigued. So the question, Kevin, was, do you sing? Now, let's be <laughs> candid. That is not a question most of us have ever been asked in an interview, let alone someone who's about to embark on a journey to the South Pole in Antarctica. Do you sing? I mean, do you swim? Sure. Do you know <laughs> how to start navigate? Sure. Do you sing? What is that all about? 
We know from letters and journals written by folks that made the crew that Shackleton went on to explain. I don't mean any of that Enrico Caruso operatic stuff. I mean, are you willing to shout about with the boys around the fire? Because what Shackleton had learned is that in the dark, harsh, cold Antarctic night with the catabatic winds blowing, huddling around the fire, singing, was a way to keep morale high, was a way to keep people engaged, was a way to people make people feel connected so that they could literally live another day. Now, what a lot of people who maybe are familiar with the name Shackleton and the Endurance Voyage know is that Shackleton had this vision. We're going to leave England. We're going to sail down to South America. We'll grab some supplies. We'll zip over to Antarctica. We'll check things out for a week or two. Then we'll head back to England. Great plan. Except they got stuck in the ice. The ship was stuck in the ice for almost a year. And then the ship broke down. And they were left to live on the ice for almost another year. It was 24 months from the time they set out to when they were rescued from Antarctica and got back to non-ice shelf land. When the ship was breaking apart, Shackleton said to his men, we can't keep everything. Stuff's going to go down with the ship. We've got to keep the limited supplies and everything we carry off the ship. We might have to move as the ice continues to break apart and as we make camps kind of, you know, here for two across, across these frozen tundra plains. What are we going to do? And his team came to them and they said, okay, we figured out we're going to take this food and, you know, these furs and some stuff for the dogs and some sleds and do, do, do. And he said, what about the banjo? And they're like, oh, we're leaving the banjo. That's extraneous. He goes, no, 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 no. We're bringing the banjo. Why? Because he knew from his previous expeditions that we got to keep singing. Here's my question for all of you. I'm not saying you should ask your candidates, do you sing? Okay. You're not building an Antarctic team. What I am asking is, uh, as, a, as a thought exercise, a creativity exercise, is there a single question that you could ask every candidate to get a feel for what it will actually be like to work with them? You can teach them how to use your EHR system. You can teach them about what you're going to do in terms of billing codes and you know applying for reimbursements. That stuff is learnable. What you can't teach them is to be friendly with their coworkers. What you can't teach them is to smile when a patient comes in naturally. You're either predisposed to some of this stuff or you're not. So the question would be, what might you ask them in a single question to suss out who they are as a person and a personality instead of thinking about where does this meet their credentials or their skill sets of things that you could easily train after the fact? No, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think the word optimism too, and that resonates with me a little bit because in healthcare and in other business too, but again, just for our audience, it's a roller coaster and, and there's great months, there's bad months, there's frustrating patients, there's great, like it's, it, it can be tough and you need to maintain that optimism. And that's something for myself that I continue to work on and try to improve and be better as a leader to not, uh, you know, get down a little bit when things are harder. And, and, and as a leader, you have to have some of that optimism, but you also need your team members to, to not get in the dumps as well within. So that's why I really wanted to chat about that because it's something that's resonated with me 
personally and, and professionally. And I think a lot of our chiropractors out there have team members that uh, when things are a little bit tough or there's a difficult patient, they, you know, it can, it can really spread through the whole team if you're not careful. So thanks for, Kevin, for sharing Kevin, that you, story. Oh, it's my pleasure. And forgive me, you are spot on. I mean, at the end of the day, friends, hire for attitude, not aptitude. You can train them. They're, I mean, at the risk of sounding critical, all of you out there that are practicing chiropractors, you had to be trained. You didn't know how to do an adjustment. You learned that at school. You also learned that on the job from watching other members of the team or other chiropractors you might have observed or worked with. You learn new techniques, new modalities. We can teach that. It's much more difficult to teach someone to be friendly, to teach someone to be kind, to teach someone to be happy or optimistic or positive. Go find those things and make those a requirement for the job instead of you have this degree, this certification, this former work history experience. Perfect. I love it. Um, and so communication obviously is important no matter what we're talking about. And it's going to be obviously very important uh, with your employees, especially if they're new. Uh, what you, you outline in the book, six tools that employers can use to enhance the employee journey. What are those? So there are six key ways we can create these remarkable experiences. Let me give you a quick hit on all six of them, and then we can dive specifically. Those in-person interactions are the first one. The good old-fashioned mano a mano, where we're in the same room having the experience. And if there's anything we learned from COVID, it's that most humans were taking for granted the opportunity we have to be in the same room as another human being, whether that's a family member, a loved one, a coworker, a stranger. And so what are we doing to make our in-person interactions at work remarkable? Next email. I'll ask a question to everybody listening. Raise your hand. And I know, pretend that I can see you. Raise your hand if you wish you were getting more email. That silence you hear is the silence of no hands being raised. And yet this is the number one tool most of us use to communicate with our employees. And some of you are saying, but Joey, no, we're on Slack. We're on Teams. Folks, it's the same stuff. The electronic communication that comes in that nobody wants to get that are boring, that are bland, that are not exciting, that are not interesting. I'm not anti-email, but I'm against email being the only way you interact with your people. We then come to physical mail. Now, some people are like, physical mail, Joey, what are you talking about? Well, you'll send a postcard or a promotion to a patient. You'll send a thank you note to a patient. But when it comes to our employees, usually the only thing we ever send them in the mail are tax documents, maybe pay stubs at the end of the year. I'm sorry, no one ever got excited about receiving tax documents in the mail. Your, your employees are no different than you. So what if we started sending thank you notes to the homes of our employees? What if we sent little gifts, special things, unexpected surprises? That brings us to the fourth one, phone, okay? A lot of you use phone to text your team members, hey, I'm gonna need you to unlock the office tomorrow at 8 a.m., I'm running behind. Or hey, we need to stay a little late tomorrow because of this patient. Are you sending thoughtful messages? Things like, hey, I was at this conference this week and uh, this guy was talking about remarkable employee experiences and I thought about my favorite employee and it's you. We couldn't exist without you. Thanks so much. How are we thinking strategically about the phone? Next, videos. A lot of you have videos on your websites for prospective patients to see what an adjustment looks like. Here's the office. Meet the doctors, et cetera, et cetera. When's the last time you shot a video for your employees? Not a video necessarily to explain anything to them, although that could be an option, but a video that lets them see and hear your gratitude, 
your appreciation for who they are as a human being, as a member of your team. And last but not least, gifts. And by the way, pro tip, if it has your logo on it, not a gift. It's a uniform. No problem with you having the logo of your practice on a polo shirt or scrubs or T-shirts or whatever your team wears at the office. That's not a gift. A gift is something that you give to someone that when they open it, and by the way, that means it was wrapped. When they open it, they say, oh, they know me. I feel seen. I feel valued. I feel appreciated. It's something that says, I was paying attention when you were talking. I was listening when you shared your favorite author, your favorite musician, your favorite place to go on vacation, the thing you like to do on the weekends. And I got you this gift that speaks to that, this gift that is personal, this gift that is emotional in the connection and the response it will create from you. Those are the six tools. We can use any of them at any point in the employee journey. What we're probably doing is over-indexing on one or two of them a little too much and missing the opportunity to be remarkable by using some of the others. I love that. And I want to touch base on one of them because I, surprisingly, a lot of chiropractors are not doing this and they need to be, but how can one-on-one meetings be used to help leaders in direct reports have better conversations about goals and some of their check-ins with the, with those employees? Yeah. One of the, the, the statistics around one-on-one meetings are staggering. If you ask most employers, do you have one-on-one meetings with your employees? They say, oh, yeah, we do that regularly. Now, if you ask employees what their experience of the one-on-one meeting it is, well, we're supposed to, but they get canceled a lot. They get rescheduled a lot. And I got to admit, Kevin, I'm guilty of this as an employer as well. There are times where something comes along and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to go handle this. I'm sorry. Who's going to bear the brunt of this? the employee. We're going to have to push your one-on-one till later today or tomorrow or next week. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Nothing says you are meaningless to me more than not prioritizing what should be the most important professional relationship you have. I'm sorry. I love your patients. I want you to treat your patients well, but you don't get to serve your patients if you don't have your support team. I would rather have you cancel an adjustment than miss a one-on-one with a team member. And when you get into the one-on-one with the team member, let's talk a little bit about the agenda. The agenda should be 70% listening minimum. Lots of chiropractors, and I love you all dearly, okay, use one-on-one meetings, and it's not just chiropractors, it's business leaders around the world, as an opportunity to train an opportunity to tell, an opportunity to teach. I'm not opposed to training or telling or teaching. But in a one-on-one setting, that should be about listening. That should be about exploring, about curiosity. Hey, what's working for you? What's not working for you? One of my favorite questions to ask employees, especially new employees, before they become jaded and totally caught up in our system, I like to take an employee like in week three, so they've been around a little bit. They've got a little feel for the vibe. It's, we've gotten to the point where not everything is brand new. And say, I'd love you to tell me three things that we're doing that you think are either crazy, stupid, mistakes, or you're just not sure why we bother. And then make them come up with three. You will get gold. And listen, don't say, well, no, you don't understand. The reason why we do that is blah, blah, blah. No, take it as gold 
and then go and reflect on it and say, why do we actually do that? If it doesn't make sense to this new hire, why are we perpetuating it? Why are we still doing it? I'll tell a quick story here. Um, It's Thanksgiving. It's the holidays. My mom is making a roast, not on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, we have a turkey, right? But everybody's home and you've got other days around Thanksgiving where you got to feed people. And so it's like, she's going to make the roast and she brings the roast out. And I'm in the kitchen with her and I'm not a big cook by any means. And she cuts the two ends off the roast and then puts the roast in the pan and starts to cook the roast. And I said, mom, why do you cut the ends off the roast? She says, well, my mom did that. I said, awesome. Why did your mom do that? She's like, and you know, it's funny you should say that. I'm not sure. Now, my mom's sister happened to be there for the holidays. So we called my aunt into the room and we said, Aunt Susie, why do, do you cut the ends off the roast? She's like, yeah, I totally cut the ends off the roast. We're like, why do you do that? Well, because mom did that. Well, why did mom do that? Well, I don't know. Long story short, we get one of my great aunts who's almost 100 years old on the phone, who's the sister of my grandmother, who rest her soul is deceased. He'd say, hey, do you cut the ends off the roast? And she's like, oh, Nancy did, my grandmother. I'm like, why did Nancy do that? She's like, well, she had a small pan. <laughs> Folks, there are That's things true. you are doing in your practice that just don't make sense anymore. They made sense when you started doing it. I'm not opposed to you doing it, but let's think through if our behaviors, if our processes, our procedures are really in alignment with the reality that we're living in or they're an archaic carry-on from yesteryear that isn't necessary to do anymore. And your employees will be able to spot those faster than you can. Why? Because they're not emotionally attached to the story or the practice or the procedure or the policy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been interesting because my practice is 14 years old and 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 I'll have employees bring up some things and I'm like, I don't have a good reason why we've just been doing it since 2012. <laughs> so exactly. that's, a, that's a good one. Thank you. I like that. Well, Joey, I want to be respectful of your time. I got one more question for you. Then I want to make sure we also know how we can get this book. I'm going to put everything in the show notes there. I, I found this quote really interesting and I, and I wanted to tease it out a little bit there. Um, you know, every employee has coworkers. Not every employee has colleagues. What does what does that mean? I think a lot of people use the word coworker and colleague interchangeably. And I understand that and I don't judge that. But I wonder how the conversation shifts as we think of those words as not being synonymous. To me, a coworker is someone who is paid by the same employer, who probably works under the same roof, doing something pseudo-similar. A colleague is a friend. A colleague is someone who you enjoy hanging out with after hours. A colleague is someone who knows it's your birthday before they see the reminder on the company-wide, practice-wide calendar. A colleague is someone who when you walk in, they know whether you've had a good weekend or a bad weekend before you even start telling them the story. Here's the kicker, Kevin. Most humans are suffering from a lack of colleagues. They may have a boatload of coworkers, but they don't really have that many colleagues. And part of the reason for that falls on the practice owner, the lead doc. And that's because they haven't created an environment of collegiality. They've been so focused on the 
practice and what our procedures and our policies and what we do and making revenue and hitting our numbers and increasing our PVA and making sure that, you know, the schedule's full and calling people if they haven't come to their appointments to get them back on the books and getting them to sign up for another care plan and, you know, getting the insurance policies, you know, properly reimbursed and, you know, driving the cash flow. And I get it. Those things are all important, but not to the exclusion of creating a culture that fosters colleagues instead of coworkers. Yeah. You know, and I've seen it in my practice where sometimes you can see there's friendships being built and that it gives some people and a lot of people a reason to keep on wanting to come back to that place because that's where their friends are. Right. And it's like, like Norm from Cheers. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? All humans want to go where everybody knows their name. Right. All humans want that experience. And what we know statistically is, especially if you're hiring younger people, if they haven't met their significant other in school, it is most likely that they are going to meet their significant other at work. Now, some of you are like, wait a second, Joey, I don't want any workplace romance that gets into all kinds of legal and HR issues. I get it. However, the likelihood of them having a colleague get work who invites them to a party at their house on the weekend where they meet their significant other is huge. You should be encouraging those types of friendships. You should be not only fostering them, but promoting them. And again, check with your local lawyer, you know, in your jurisdiction about how far is too far on some of these things. But creating space for personal and emotional connection amongst coworkers is what produces colleagues. And the way you do that as a leader is you go first. Talk about the things you love. Talk about what you did on your weekend. Talk about the book you're reading, the movie you saw, the new hobby you're taking up. And then, more importantly, listen. Ask them questions. Hey, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you binging these days on Netflix? What are you really into? Hey, seen anything wacky on social media lately? How are things going with your family? What are, what's up with your kids? How's school? Dig into the things that matter to them. Kevin, if I were to describe this in one way, it's this. The businesses that will be held up as the pinnacle places to work 10 years from now are the ones that recognize that it is just as important, if not more important, to pay attention what happens in your employees' lives between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m. as it is to worry about what happens in their lives between 9 and 5. I'm not saying pry into their personal lives. A lot of people mishear that. They're like, Joey, that sounds stalkerish. I don't want to do it. No, what I'm saying is recognize that your people have lives outside of your practice and find ways to connect with them about those things and honor those things and give them the time off to go to their kids end of school year graduation, even though it's graduating from third grade and we think that's a little laughable. Make the time to let them go because they will remember that a lot more than they'll remember the paycheck they received. Well, that's, that was very uh, compelling and something that, uh, you know, I, I need to frankly work on myself. And that's what sometimes I love about this podcast is that uh, it hits me between the, you know, right between the eyes sometimes. And so thank you for, for that wake up call there a little bit and something that uh, I'm going to continue to improve on. Well, I really want to thank you for your time and your wisdom. This was phenomenal. I can't wait for the book. I know our audience is going to love it as well. Where can they find it? And, and when does it come out? Yeah. So the book comes out June 27th. 
And the book is called Never Lose an Employee Again. It's available in whatever format you like to consume books. So if you're an ebook reader, it's there on Kindle and Nook. If you're a hardcover reader because you like to take notes in the margins, you're going to love it. And if you've enjoyed the sound of our conversation, you might like the audiobook because I narrate it. So you've got everything you need to experience the book that way. The book's available wherever books are sold. Uh, if you want to do those of us that are authors a solid, consider every once in a while ordering from someone other than Amazon. I don't say that to be critical of Amazon, but an order from Barnes & Noble, from Books A Million, from your local indie bookstore. Talk about this. And let me make a plug, if I may, for indie bookstores. Absolutely. Almost everybody listening to this business lives in a community. You operate in a community and you rely on the people of the community to give you business so that you can continue to be part of the community. I'd be willing to bet that the great majority of you have a bookstore in your town. If you go to that bookstore, I know it might be weird to find them. Maybe you haven't been there ever, let alone it recently. And you walk in and you say, hey, I'd like to do two things today. Number one, I'm going to buy a book that you already have here. Number two, I'd like to order a copy of Never Lose an Employee Again. Have you ship it in, get it for me if you don't have it here in the store you will start to contribute to the type of community you want to live in. Because the, what I know is that leaders are readers. And if we want to have bookstores, we want to have the ability for our kids, our coworkers, our colleagues, our friends, our employees, our loved ones to be able to read, having that place where you can go in the community to be exposed to new ideas, new perspectives, interesting ways to think differently happens in those indie bookstores. You can also go Google IndieShop.com and you can find the local bookstore near you. Um, consider buying a book from them. I know they'd appreciate it. Yeah, I'm going to put a little bow on this and leave you with it. If you do more of those things, that's going to be more assess phase opportunities for your potential customers. That's how they might 100%, first meet you. 100%. 100%. And let me tell you, those bookstore owners in your local community have the same challenges you have. They have a very specific target market they're trying to help. They're struggling with rent. They're struggling with employees. They're struggling with foot traffic. All the things that you all are challenged with, they're having those challenges too. You might also make a friend, which isn't a bad thing when you're a business owner trying to be an entrepreneur running your own practice. I love it. Well, Joey, I really appreciate it again. Thank you for your time. And hopefully this isn't the last time we have you on. Uh, Kevin, I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me on the show. And thanks to all of you for listening. I so appreciate it. I wish you the very best as you create remarkable experiences so that hopefully you never lose an employee again either. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you want to make the shift from busy, broke, and broken to time-free and cash-confident, or you just want to continue with the exponential growth, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com. Look at the MCM Mastery tab, watch the short video on there, and check out what we are doing now for evidence-informed chiropractors. We are equal parts coaching and marketing done for you. Yes, you shoot some videos. We help you with campaign strategies and ideas and really become a thought leader in your community. You shoot those videos, you send them to us. We produce, edit, and brand them to you. Then we distribute them through all of your channels. We also take them and we turn it into one good blog per month. And every other month, we have Darcy Sullivan producing a robust blog with a topic that you pick from her database to help with your SEO. So we essentially become your content marketing agency to make sure your practice is always having ethical, elegant content marketing to help grow your practice. On the coaching side, we also help you with everything from marketing ideas to business, communications, finances, anything practice growth. 
and really try to help prevent you from being stuck on that island and we hold you accountable. We have a great group of doctors that are just doing amazing things and we look forward to help you out to take that next step in your practice. So again, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com and learn more.